And last week, I challenged your faith. I asked you a question, and I hope you pondered this this week. Do I personally, truly believe that God has an incredible love for me? Do I really believe that God's heart for people is as big as Pastor Ken has been talking about? Is it true that the Bible really says that what the Bible says about God loving people? Is it possible that God loves me that that much? Do you have faith that says even now, Lord, when things are hard and difficult and my dreams are buried and dead for four days? You'll remember the story of Lazarus and Jesus coming and Martha saying those words. Even now, God will do whatever you want. Do you have enough faith to say to the Lord, I believe that much in you that even now, oh God, you love me. You love me. And God has this incredible uh, capacity, incredible love. He is an incredible God. And we're wrapping up our series today by going to the Old Testament. And I want to look in the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel will go to the 36th chapter. I will tell you that we will also look at Isaiah 1 verse 18. One verse which will be projected up on the screen for you. But Ezekiel 36 beginning with verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations when you were gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. And I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from your all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people. I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful. And will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field. So that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Let me read now. That one verse from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, a plead of God himself. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I stand here today to remind you that the Lord God Almighty, the God who created the heavens and the earth with his words, is poised today to release his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace on anyone who would seek it. Anyone. The books of Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel in your Bible come in sequential order. And they chronicle a rough period for God's people, Israel. You'll remember 
that God rescued Israel from slavery when they were in Egypt. They were a subjugated people. They were total in total depravity and slavery. They lived miserable lives serving their Egyptian masters. And God one day heard their prayers to be delivered. And God brought them. God brought them out of that land of slavery. He gave them so much abundance, even from those who used to be his masters. God led them. God protected them. God got them to a place. Where he promised he would give to them. He gave them a promised land. A great land to live on the earth. A land full of richness and splendor. And God was their God. And they were his people. We're looking here at these books. And I will tell you that in Lamentations through Ezekiel. I'm sorry, Jeremiah through Ezekiel. There's a lot of pain in the pages of these three books. They mark a dark time. In the history of God's very people. Because they chronicle when God's people utterly rebelled against him. Turned their backs on the God who had rescued them. And in pursuit of false gods committed terrible, awful acts of sin. Their hearts had hardened to stone towards God who had rescued them. And given them so much. They erected idols, things that they created with their own hands. They would carve out of stone creatures and they make up their own gods and they would bow before their own creations. They had idols all over, small ones in their homes, large ones all over the place. They also erected temples to false gods all over the land that God had given to them and they worshiped them. They would go into those temples and they would worship them. They bowed in worship even to the sun and the moon. And as far as the temple of the Lord, which was a splendid, beautiful building where God's presence was, they began to treat it with disdain and disrespect. And they treated it more like a good luck charm. In their arrogance, they would go and worship in another temple of a false god they would bow before the idols in their homes and then they believed that as long as they walked into the temple of the lord and chanted the words the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord we are safe as long as they would make an appearance in the temple of the lord and they would stand there and arrogantly chant those words to to uh, out loud they believed that the god of that temple was obligated to protect them and keep harm from coming to them they were doing this to the god that had had loved them and made them a nation and blessed them and enriched them in their pursuit of false gods and their worship of false gods, they would go into the temples of their false gods and commit adultery. They would also go into the temples and there were prostitutes, temple prostitutes, that they would commit uh, sexual immorality with in the name of worship. They would go right from there doing those things and go into the temple of the Lord and arrogantly stand up and say, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, we're safe. And they truly believed that God, their God who had brought them out of Egypt had to protect them because they went into his temple. 
They believed that he was obligated to take care of him. In their worship of false gods, they also were guilty of sacrificing their own children, burning them to death in homage to demons. And the people of God had a heart to turn rock hard against him, and they rebelled. You see, God, being God, sent prophets into the nation of Israel to speak to them and to appeal to them. And to say to them, you're doing the wrong thing. You're rebelling. You are turning away from me. I am your God. These are false idols. These are false gods. What are you doing? And God would send prophets out to them to preach the word and to tell them, if you repent, if you turn, I'll forgive you. And instead of receiving the word of the Lord, they killed the prophets. They mistreated the prophets. They hated the prophets. Read the book of Jeremiah. And if you are a servant of the Lord, if you are in ministry, it'll break your heart. Man, I'm glad you don't treat me the way that the Israelites treated them. Because nobody liked Jeremiah. They all hated him. When he showed up to preach, they would jeer at him. They hated his guts. Why? Because he was preaching the word of God to them. And their hearts were so hard against the God of heaven and earth, against the God who had been their father and brought them into this land of, of plenty, that they violently reacted against Jeremiah and the other prophets of the Lord. And Jeremiah and his preaching and the other prophets in their preaching warned the people, you are walking headlong into destruction. This is self-destruction. You are inciting the anger of the God of heaven and earth. And his patience will only last so long. And this is what God says. If you don't turn, then you are going to be utterly destroyed. God made that clear over and over and over again. And what they did with the message of the Lord is that even their, their temple leaders were so corrupt that they would say, that's false preaching. That's not the truth. The, the prophets are lying to you. These prophets aren't telling you the truth. And you're safe as long as you come into the temple of the Lord and you chant. They even put an idol to a false god in the temple of the Lord. That's how far away these guys have gone. They, 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 the Israelites had gone from God. It's a very difficult read. You go from Jeremiah through Ezekiel. You see what is chronicled. In these pages. Finally. The day came when God had no choice. But to keep his word. And wipe them out. Almost completely. The destruction came. And most of the people were brutally killed. By a vicious marauding army. Their houses were burned and destroyed. Their cities were destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem torn down. There was hardly anything left. When this army was done. A remnant of God's people survived, and they endured terrible hardship as a result of their sin. Many of them were scattered to other lands, and wherever they went, they were a disdain. They were disdained, I should say, by the people, by the nations that they went into. As soon as it was learned that this was a Jew, these, these people were formerly from, from the land of Israel, then they were hated and mistreated by the people around them. Nobody wanted them around, and they brought disdain for the God of heaven and earth. 
And I'm about to get there in just a second. So everywhere they went, they were mistreated. Many of the people, some of them stayed in the rubble that used to be Jerusalem. They somehow set up whatever they could and they lived the best that they could in the area. And they lived in that rubble. And many of them starved to death to the point of now eating their own children. It was horrible. If you read the book of Lamentations, you will see a brokenhearted prophet, Jeremiah, crying out because of what Israel brought upon themselves. I just need to interrupt my message long enough to say something to you. And I hope this sinks in. This is not meant in a uh, mean-spirited way. But understand, God's judgments are serious. You can't mess and trifle with God forever. And when he has to judge... It's not a pleasant thing. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And the people who survived barely did. God's people had lost everything. They had lost their way of living, their life, their families, their homes, their friendships. They had lost everything. And now they were just eking out a living, trying to survive. Many of them died. This passage in Ezekiel 36 is what God said to the remnant of people who were left over, who were still alive after God's judgment had left them broken and pretty much scattered everywhere. These people have been crying out to God again because finally they were getting it. Finally, they understood and they began to see some of their own stupidity and sin. And they were finally praying to God to deliver them and help them. Now, as I preach the rest of this message to you, I ask you to please keep in mind that the people that God spoke this message to were the people who were re- who were guilty of all the rebellion and the heinous acts who, who did these things that I described to you. What I am saying to you is that even to people who God had originally blessed immensely and measurably, and who certainly knew the goodness of God, even to people who abandoned a God like that, even to a people who left the covenant that God had had uh, given to them to pursue false gods and erect uh, idols and worship demons and worship the sun and the moon, even to people who defiled the whole world in the name of the Lord, even to them, God gave mercy. God's heart was incredible. Even to the enemies of God, God opened an opportunity of love and grace. And God was poised to pour out his grace even on them. The very people who had committed these acts so callously, so brazenly, just a short period before. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, God said, This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. But the forsake, but the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Before we move forward, let me take a stab at these verses. Because some may read this passage and say, you know, what is God saying? Not for your sake am I going to bless you? Not for your sake? 
Before we go forward, let me just try to tell you what I believe these words mean, the best uh, research I've done. To me, this highlights the fact that God's grace, God's mercy is always poured out on the undeserving. Amen. You and I don't deserve the grace of God. You and I have never done anything to, to merit his mercy. He's not on the hook, guys. I know that some people will say that. I've even heard preachers say, look, if you pray to God for forgiveness, he has to forgive you. God doesn't have to do anything. God offers it because he's God. Because that's his character. That's his heart. But God doesn't owe you anything. Please know that. Please know he's given you everything you are. He created you. But God doesn't owe you. You owe him. I owe him. And so God pours his heart out and his grace upon those who don't deserve it. In this case, God has given abundant mercy and grace to people who outright rejected him and rebelled in a way that few ever had. They they defamed him. They profaned his holy name so that the whole earth who was watching had a disgust for him. And it was wasn't because of them that he was going to do these things, but because of who God is. Listen, when I preach about God loving people, it's not an attribute. It's so much more. It's just who God is. The Bible tells us this. I love this. God is love. So this isn't about a quality of God. This is about God. And the reason I'm going to do these things is because I am holy, because I am God. And I'm going to act this way, not just to benefit you, not because you're praying to me, but because I'm a holy God. And I'm going to do these things so that the rest of the world will know that I am a gracious God. They're watching to see what happens to you. I'm going to show myself holy. Why? Because he can't show himself any other way. What he was saying is I'm going to show up and holiness is going to be there. And that's what I see in these verses. It isn't because you're such a good guy or because now you're sorry. And we need that. We need contrition when we sin. We need to seek him when we sin and say we're sorry. All of that's needed. But understand that God does what he does because he's God. It's his character. He's incredible. What a heart he has. What a great God he is. So he did this. This is far from the first time the Israelites rebelled from him. Far from the first time the people of God disappointed and sinned against him. No, God did this because for, for all the people's sake, he wanted them to know that he is God. And as I read through this passage, I'm reminded that God's heart is so very incredible. I love this about him. He's so astoundingly gracious and kind. And folks, aren't you glad? Because none of us, none of us would be sitting here. If he wasn't, I'm so glad that God does not treat us as our iniquities deserve. Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't be standing before you today. I promise you I'd be in a pit of hell, but I serve a good God. But as we read through this now, I'm going to march through these phrases. There are more phrases that I am not going to be able to highlight today because I really want us to have time for our, our time with the Lord in communion. But I want to capture some of these things that Jesus, that, that God the Father, said to the people of Israel. This is what I'm going to do for you because I am who I am. Because I'm, I'm, I'm love. He said first that he would gather them. Verse 24, and you'll see it on the screen. He told them that he was going to gather his people back. And I'm just going to tell you something. I love this. God was going to reach into all of the nations 
in which his people were held captive and gather them back into their land and back to, to him. He was taking them out of their bondage and, out of, and, and bringing them back into freedom again. He was bringing them home. He was bringing them back from the faraway lands that they live in. And oh, I could spend the rest of this morning with the metaphor of being gathered by God. Because some people are so far away from him. And I'm talking about people who had once come to Christ and received the Lord. But sin has so entered your life and so twisted you up that when you look around, you don't even recognize the landscape. Church feels foreign to you. I want you to know that we serve a God with a heart that's incredible. He would bring you back home. He would take you, take all of that awkwardness away. He would give you life again. He would give you something beautiful. You see, our God's big heart is a heart that would gather people. I love that about him. He loves people. He doesn't, he takes no pleasure of pushing anyone away. That's not him. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't disappear. His heart is always walk toward us. His heart is always to open his arms. He's always the one saying, come, come, come here. Because our God has a gathering heart. And I pray that we see that. If you are far away from God, know that his heart says, my heart for you is to bring you home. My heart is for you to be close to me. That's a picture of God's heart for people. It's a heart of a shepherd who seeks out the lost sheep. Ninety-nine are in the fold, but there's one missing. And that shepherd will make sure they're safe. And he'll go searching until he finds that little sheep that's all lost. The sheep did it to itself, but he's not satisfied. He will search them out and put them on the shoulders and bring them home. That's the heart of God to gather. It's a heart of the Father sending his Son to this world to seek and save people who are lost. It's the heart of the Lord Jesus when he stood in the middle of the busy streets of Jerusalem as he was headed to the cross, my friends. And he weeps and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather you. Your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It is the heart of God on display when Jesus stood in, in the streets again at another time and said, let everyone who is thirsty come to me. And anyone who wants to drink, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's the heart of this God. He is truly incredible. It is the heart of God to gather people to him. He wants us near. It is the heart of God that says no matter where, what you are, where you've been, how far away you think you are, what you've done, how far away I want you near. Oh, I love that. God gathers people. And I'm reminded, this is my favorite gathering, frankly, that the Holy Spirit, or that the Holy Spirit inspired in the scriptures that it be written that one day God is going to split the eastern sky. And Jesus is going to gather his church together in there in the sky. Woo! That's enough to even make a Wesleyan get blessed. He is going to call us home. He's going to gather us. This is not my permanent home. I get to leave this world goodbye one day. No wonder this God says it's precious in his sight when a saint passes from this world to another. All right, before I get too blessed and lose my mind, let me go to the next uh, statement. He said that he would gather them. He said he would purify these people. 
I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And then he says, I'll cleanse you. And verse 29, I will save you from all your uncleanness. Whenever I think about the Lord cleansing someone, I can't help but think about the day that Jesus Christ was up on a mountaintop. Again, remember, Jesus shows us his father's heart. Jesus comes down. There's a large crowd, a multitude of people with him. He comes down off of this mountain top. He has uh, several people following him and a large crowd waiting for him. There are just people everywhere as he is making his way down. And suddenly in the middle of all that commotion and all the people trying to press in to be near Jesus, touch Jesus, hear Jesus, there's a voice that is calling out to the top of his lungs, doing the best he can, unclean, unclean. Let me to him. Let me see him. There's a leper out there. And he's calling to the people because by law, by the Jewish law, if you had leprosy, you were not allowed to be around healthy people. And whenever you were going to be in close proximity, you had to yell, I have leprosy. Look out, here I come. I'm unclean. And he, instead of doing what he was supposed to do, circumvent big crowds, stay away from them. He's breaking the law. And he is going through that crowd and he's determined. His eyes are fixed on Jesus because something, somehow, and we don't know the whole story, but somewhere along the line, he learned that Jesus was his hope. And he is making his way through the crowd. And I don't think the crowd was happy. I think there's a lot of pushing and shoving and people trying to get out of this leper's way. And finally, the man is there at the feet of Jesus. Jesus stops. And there is this man kneeling at her fall, falling and probably prostrated at the feet of Jesus. And I believe he's weeping. I don't have time to fully develop this, but I will tell you that if you were, were an adult and then you, it was found that you had leprosy. And I, would, I don't know if this man was a family man, but most Jewish men were. He probably had a wife and children. The moment that the priest proclaimed you unclean, you had to move out. You had to leave. And the only place for you were the caves where the leper colony was. And the only physical contact you would have with human beings at that point was uh, to fight another leper for food. It was an awful existence as they lived out there. And suddenly this broken man is at the feet of Jesus. I, I would think he's weeping. And this amazing thing happens. First of all, the crowd is annoyed that he is there. And they're probably not too happy with Jesus to even notice him. Jesus actually stopped and paid attention to this, this wretched human being. And this man is at his feet. I imagine him weeping. And then Jesus stepping up to him. And then he looks into the eyes of Jesus from down there. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me whole. I love this story. This is going to be on my playback device when I get to heaven. I'm seeing this one. I love what Jesus does. I hear the crowd gasping as Jesus stretches out his holy hand and does what you're not supposed to do. He touched the leper. And out of his, I don't know if it was when immediately upon his touch or if it was through the words that Jesus spoke, because you know when Jesus spoke, creation happens. I don't know which it was, but he said, I am willing. And I could camp on that one. Aren't you glad God is willing to touch the untouchable today? I'm one of them. And he touched me anyway. 
And then in the comfort and the blessing of that, and in his words, he says, I am willing, be clean. And the man looks up and, and suddenly this man and leopards wore rags to keep their body parts on. Suddenly the rags are taken away and there's no leprosy on his skin and he's restored again. I want you to know that's the heart of the father. He has an incredible heart. Leprosy is a type in scripture of sin. It's destructive. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It eats away at people. And, and sin does that. And I can see our God saying, look, I am willing to purify you. That's what he told the people he would do. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that it is the heart of the Father to purify people. It is the heart of God to do that. And I'm just struck with the love of the Lord. But the Lord was willing to cleanse a leper. If God himself was willing to cleanse these people, how much more willing would he be to cleanse your heart today? Should you need it? Got anything in your life you wish would just be cleansed out of? There's an old, old hymn in the church, and you see, I'm an old dinosaur, okay? I grew up, I was in the church uh, when I was 10 years old. I'm 58 now, do the math. Been there a long time. Back then, we had a thing called a hymnal. I don't know if you heard of them. And we sang a thing called hymns. And one of them was called the, the cleansing stream. The cleansing stream I see, I see. I plunge, and oh, it cleanseth me. Whoo! I'm about to get blessed today. I'm so glad for a God who knows how to clean me up. Doesn't leave me nasty and dirty and filthy, but he has a heart to clean us. And I'm so struck with his willingness to do so. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Even if they're red as crimson, they'll be like wool. I want a clean heart. I want to be pure before the Lord, and I know a God who will do that. It's his heart. He's incredible. He said he would change them. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take that old stony heart of yours away, and I'll give you a clean one. This verse is about major change. It's not just somebody getting better by trying harder. This is about God doing a supernatural thing that changes the, the, the very essence of who we are. And this, folks, is not just possible. It happens when God is involved. Now, so too many people will, will feel a little twinge of something and they'll make their way up and they'll, they'll pray a prayer to God and no change happens because they haven't truly surrendered to what God can do. But let me tell you, according to the word of God, God knows how to change a heart of a person. Amen. He knows how to radically make them different. And I want you to hear me. It's in his heart to do it. He loves you. He has an incredible heart for you. He doesn't want to leave you in that condition. He wants to make you brand new. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And God, I know there's a process. I understand that there is a process where we're being changed by God as we live. Because we're human beings. We're going to mess up. We're going to have uh, sinful thoughts and, and, and do sinful things from time to time. That happens in human beings. But oh, he can change your heart on the spot with his power. I still remember when Al and I were sitting in the office. I might have told you about Al. He was a big old Dutchman, big old boy. And he's a burly man, and he's a man's man. He did man's man kind of work. 
And I was kind of a um, little bit rough around the edges for a very long time. Apparently, um, he he wasn't he didn't know the Lord. He <clears throat> when he got married and had children, uh, he he wasn't a very good dad. He was an alcoholic. He beat his wife. He was mean. He was very mean spirited. He beat up a whole lot of people. He's a big boy. I would have never wanted to cross Al's path back then. He's a bad dude. And he's sitting in my office one day, this big old Dutch guy, and we're, we're sitting there and we're talking. And he began to tell me a little bit about a story. And then he told me about the moment that Christ came into his heart. And this hard man, and he said, Pastor Ken, you got to know, I was as hard as they came. I would beat you in a heartbeat. I would fight in a, at a drop of a hat. I didn't like people, and I made sure they knew it. I was a miserable man. And he sat there and he began to cry. He says, but it's all changed. And he told me about the moment he came to Christ. And God gave him, he said these words, a brand new heart. And he asked me, tell me your story. I said, oh, here we go. And I began to tell him my story. And I know this is going to shock you. I cried. I know. Emotional me. And I was telling him, and I finally said, oh, man, I'm sorry for all my tears. And he says, stop being sorry for your tears. He says, Pastor, I'm so glad every time I have tears coming down my cheeks because it reminds me of my changed heart. God took my old, hard, nasty heart away, and he gave me a brand new heart. And I'm tenderhearted now, Pastor Ken, and I'm not ashamed of my tears. It just tells me God has really changed me. And I'm so grateful. And I will tell you, God is able to do that. God is able to make those changes in your life. And he's willing to do so. I will change them. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a brand new spirit. And some of us could use that right now, huh? Couldn't we use that heart transplant? Couldn't we use a change of the Lord working in our lives? Listen, I will quickly tell you this. I have to move on. I'm amazed at how many people resist what, and I'm talking about Christians. How many Christians resist the changes that God wants to walk them through? I'm amazed by that. You think God means evil for you? Do you think God's trying to change you for to, to make your life worse? If you won't resist him, if you simply follow the spirit, oh, how your life will be better. I'm saying this not to make you feel guilty, but just to challenge you. Let God change you. Don't resist him. Don't stand against what he wants to do in your life. Let him do it. Put to rest today any doubt that you have about God's desire and willingness to change your heart. But cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Let him do this. And this leads me, segues into this phrase. He said he would fill them. I'll put my spirit in you, he said. I'll fill you. And I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. But when the Lord remakes a person's heart, I'm glad he doesn't leave it the way he found it. He changes it and then he seals that work with the Holy Spirit. That's what 2 Corinthians one twenty one says. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who is also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What this is saying is after God affects change in our hearts, he doesn't leave us to our strength and wisdom. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He pours himself into us. Oh, how I long to see another outpouring of the Holy Ghost on his church again. Some of us act so afraid of what, what will happen if God really had his way. Why, people might act crazy in church again. 
me tell you, the church that you're sitting in is a Wesleyan church. And our history, let me just give you a little history lesson. We used to be called Holy Rollers. And I'll tell you why. Because some people got so blessed and so filled with the Holy Spirit that they would roll. We used, we used to be called fanatics. I've, I, when I was a little boy, remember, I'm a dinosaur. 48 years ago, I remember sitting in a church service. And the Holy Spirit just came in a powerful way. And a man, God bless him, he ran across the tops of all the pews. Jumped out the window. Come running back in again, praising the Lord. It was awesome. When you're 10 years old and you're hyperdoodle, you want stuff like that to happen in church. It was awesome. And I did, it was just a different environment. And I'm not saying I'm hoping somebody goes nuts up in here just for the sake of doing it. But, oh, I would love to see the Holy Spirit poured out and some of us lose our dignity. Amen. I wouldn't mind that at all. And, oh, I want to see life back in the church of Jesus Christ. And the life comes from him pouring out his Holy Spirit. And I want to be filled. In this old world that just empties us like crazy. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Too many of God's people are filled with anything but God's Spirit. Amen, oh my, or ouch. God help us to understand. Have you been filled with His Holy Spirit? By the way, it's okay to be refilled. 